That was a day that man will never forget. The Lord gave him the greatest Father's Day gift he could ever receive. His son was healed instantaneously. While the man in the beginning thought Jesus would have to come to where he was at, Jesus proved he didn't have to. He was kind of like Martha. You know, Martha said, Lord, if you'd only been here. But distance wasn't the problem. And the Lord healed him by just speaking the word. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful Father's Day that man had. Appreciate that very brief but good message, Brother Tim, this morning. I'd like to kind of continue along in some of the lines that Brother Tim has been speaking on. I'd like to begin in the 20th chapter of John, verse 17. John 20, 17. We find here a conversation between the Lord Jesus Christ and a woman by the name of Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene had been highly blessed of Jesus in times past. She had had seven devils, and the Lord had cast all those devils out. She came to the sepulcher hoping to see Jesus. Jesus had been crucified, been laid in Joseph Arimathea's new tomb. It had been three days. When she got there, she found that the tomb was empty. And then the Lord appeared. In the beginning, he did not allow her to recognize who he was. She thought he was the gardener. And she said, Sir, if you will only tell me where you laid him, there I will go and take him. Then the Lord called her by name, called her Mary. And when he called her by name, she instantly knew this was the resurrected Christ. She made an effort, I believe, to embrace him. And the Lord forbid her on this occasion. He said, you know, uh, he forbid her and said, for I've not yet ascended unto my father. He says, but you go and you tell my brethren that I ascend unto my father and your father and my God and your God. We notice here that the Lord is telling Mary to tell the disciples something that's, I think, very, very encouraging. She's to tell them that their father is his father. We're not talking about two different fathers here. He said, touch me not, for I've not yet ascended. That word ascend means to arise. It means to go up. Now, the Lord will ascend in 40 days from now. He would spend 40 days on this earth after his resurrection. But it was not his pleasure to ascend at this time. And he had something for her to do. She'd have opportunity to embrace him at a later date. So he forbids her at that moment something very important. He wants her to go and tell my brethren, go tell the brethren that I'm not yet ascended unto my father and your father. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about God frequently during his earthly ministry. But every time he spoke about God, he always, with one exception, he always referred to him as Father. The only time he never referred to him as Father is when he hangs on the cross. And we read in Matthew chapter 27, where it's fulfilled from Psalms chapter 2. He said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's the only time Jesus ever referred to God as God. All the other times, his three and a half year ministry, he spoke about God as his father. But he also tells his disciples that they have a father. And the father of Jesus and the father of those disciples, your father, my father, is the same father. Now, there's many titles and names given to God and his son, the Lord Jesus Christ in scripture. But I think this is one that's the most endearing. When we think that we can actually call upon God as our Father, that should stir our hearts, that should stir our feelings, that should stir 
our emotions. In the Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, we find where the Lord gives a tailor-made message to his disciples. I would call this the disciple's manual. And no less than 12 times in that message, we find where the Lord gave them instructions as his disciples, and each time he would tie it into the expression, your Father in heaven, or your heavenly Father. Now, in John chapters 14, 15, and 16, we find a farewell message that Christ gave to his disciples. And in this message, the emphasis is on God being the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we look over here in the book of John 1 and 14, and the writer tells us, for the word, that's spelled with a capital W, it represents the second person of the Godhead, such as in 1 John 5, 7, the three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. We're told by this same apostle that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means to tabernacle. A tabernacle was a structure that was uh, designed to where it could be set up and taken down and relocated and set up and taken down and relocated. And we find the tabernacle of witness that was so important to the Israelites in their 40-year journey in the wilderness. That's exactly what they did. They erected the tabernacle according to the pattern that God had given them. Moses constructed the tabernacle. And it would stay in that spot as long as the Lord uh, didn't guide them further. And he always guided them with a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of uh, cloud in the daytime. And it would be taken down. They had specific instructions for that. Then it would be relocated to another place and reestablished. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this world, he lived 33 and a half years. He didn't die a day sooner than what he purposed to live on this earth. He didn't live a day longer. He came with the purpose of living 33 and a half years. He tabernacled, in other words, in this world. It says, for the word was made flesh. That's talking about his incarnation, talking about his virgin birth. The word was made flesh and it dwelt, it tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now I want you to pay attention to the word Father here this morning. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, which is in the which, uh, only begotten of the Father, which is in the bosom of the Father. Now notice where he's at. He's in the bosom of the Father. Okay? Now verse 18 says, No man has seen God at any time. Then he says, the only begotten that dwelleth in the bosom of the Father. That's actually where I wanted to get to. It dwelleth in the bosom of the Father. It says, He hath declared Him. Now, we see the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we held His glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. And the word begotten means one of a kind. It means unique. And your modern day perversions, so-called versions of the Bible, have removed this word. This is a very important word because it's a word that distinguishes how Jesus is God's son from how you are God's son. And you are sons of God. 1 John 3, 1. What manner of love the Father bestowed upon us we should be called the sons of God. That embraces man, woman, and child. Okay? Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. 
But we're sons of God differently than Jesus Christ was the only begotten Son of God. Again, the word begotten means one of a kind. It means unique. So the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Then in verse 18, he says, No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus Christ under consideration, that dwells in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. Now, that expression, in the bosom of the Father, shows the closeness of God the Father and God the Son. It shows their unity, it shows their closeness, and being in the bosom of the Father, the Son knew every secret that the Father had. The Son knew the Father perfectly. The Son knew every secret. He knew His counsel, He knew His will, He knew His purpose, He knew His good pleasure. There was nothing about the Father's mind that the Son didn't know as He dwelt in the bosom of the Father. You see that picture? That's, that's right here. He dwelt in the bosom of the Father. Where did the Apostle John uh, write about where he was always at? He was always leaning on the bosom of the Lord Jesus Christ, wasn't he? He wanted to be just as close as he could possibly get. But as close as John could get to Jesus, he never was as close as Jesus was to the Father. I can tell you that now. The Lord Jesus Christ that dwelt in the bosom of the Father knew every thought, every purpose, every counsel, every good pleasure, every part of God's will perfectly. And he declared it perfectly. So he hath declared him. So how did he declare him? Well, John specializes in revealing those things to us. We look in John 5 and 17. And you'll find where the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking to some Jews who had come with great anger to him, he speaks to them and says, My Father worketh hitherto in our work. We notice here that the Father works and the Son works. We have fellow workers, fellow laborers here between the Father and the Son. Remember, he always referred to God as his Father, with the one exception I've already given to you. Now, what gave rise to this was when you read in the beginning of chapter 5, there's a man who had an infirmity of 38 years. And he would come to a pool, and the first one into that pool, after an angel came down from heaven and stirred the water, would be healed. But he came year after year because he had no man to help him into the pool, so therefore he continued to experience his infirmity, his affliction, until Jesus come along. And Jesus healed him. But Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. And the Jews didn't like that. They thought that was contrary to Moses' law to do something like that. But the Lord on numerous occasions encountered this. And the Lord always taught them that it's Good to do good on the Sabbath. He says, which one of you having an ox on the Sabbath day fall into a ditch and will just leave him there? Well, they knew they wouldn't do that. It might be the Sabbath day, but their ox fell in the ditch, they get the ox out of the ditch. Now, sometimes people use that verse to, you know, try to <clears throat> justify their action not being the Lord's day. And the ones who do that and use that verse, the truth of the matter is they push their ox in the ditch. Now, there's a difference in you pushing your ox in the ditch and you getting your ox out of the ditch that fell in of his own accord. So if your ox falls into the ditch, yes, it's proper even on the Sabbath day to get the ox out of there. And the Lord said that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath was made for the man. So even though the Jews were on the Saturday Sabbath, the Father was always working, always working. 
And we find where the Father did the miracles in the Old Testament, how he delivered Israel out of the land of uh, Egypt, how he delivered Daniel out of the dental lines, the Hebrews out of the fiery furnace, etc., etc. The Father was always working. And now the Son comes to this world, and the Son is working also. You might look at it like this as well. The work was in the mind of the Father, but there's the Son who carried it out here. And while the Father set the things in motion with his, you know, his work of creation, and how that, you know, the, the human body is a marvelous thing. The human body will mend itself. It'll heal itself. It may take time, like Sister Shirley Wallace's ankle is not going to require any surgery. It should, re, it should re, repair itself in about six weeks, right? But the Lord Jesus Christ didn't take six weeks to heal people. The Lord Jesus Christ healed people instantaneously. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't, you know, wait around for seed to be sown and eventually lead to harvest and be multiplied. You know, you drop one seed in the ground, but when it comes up, it's not just one seed that comes up. That one seed can produce many seeds, right? The Lord Jesus Christ did it instantly, such as when he took the five loaves and two fishes and multiplied them, and instantly there was enough food, enough bread, and enough fish to take care of 5,000 men besides the women and the children. He says, the Father worketh hitherto in our work. We have fellow laborers and fellow workers right here. We find in John chapter 6, verse 37 through 39, we find the Father's will being carried out by the Son. The Lord said, all the Father giveth me shall come to me, and he that comes to me I'll in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of the Father which sent me. Who sent the Son? The Father sent the Son. He says, all the Father giveth me. It's the Father who's given somebody to Christ. He says, all the Father giveth me, he shall come to me. Sometime between conception and death, he shall be drawn unto him by the effectual working of the Spirit of God. He says, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me. All he hath given me, I should lose nothing. There's the preservation of the saints. But I shall raise him up again at the last day, and there's the resurrection. We find here, as John said, that the only begotten Son, he hath declared him. He here has declared the Father's will. Aren't you glad about that will? Aren't you glad to know that the Father had a will and you're embraced in the will? Being embraced in the will, sometime in your past experience, you wouldn't be here this morning, he drew you to him by the effectual working of his power. You were raised from a state of death and sin to a state of life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Father's will. And you're not going to be lost. You're not going to perish. Being one of those whom the Father has given to the Son, you should be raised again at the last day. So the Lord Jesus Christ here declares the Father's will. The only begotten Son declares the will of the Father. In John 8 and 29, the Lord Jesus Christ said, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. I do always those things that please him. Now, there was not one thing that Jesus ever did that displeased the Father. Not one. There was no blemish. No blemish whatsoever. Oh, to have a child that would never do one thing contrary to your, your will. No, no father's ever had that experience. <laughs> Except the heavenly father. And I guess I would say, as I have said before, Mary 
and her husband Joseph. They did raise, they raised several children, and they raised one who was perfect. You ever had anybody tell you their child never done anything wrong? You gotta watch people that lie like that. You gotta be careful about them. That's just simply not the truth. I don't care what a great child you, you raised. I don't care what a great son, a great daughter. Somewhere along the line, they didn't always do everything perfectly. But Jesus said, I always do those things that please him. There was not one thing Jesus ever did that displeased the Father. You see, the Lord is declaring him. And that expression, being in the bosom of the Father, uh, reminds me of a couple other expressions uh, that shows how intimate this was. Let me just back off and go to that just for a moment. In the book of Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, The Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, was the brightness of His glory, the glory of the Father, and the express image of His person. Sometimes it might be difficult to really, really get into the depth of what such expressions mean like that. But one thing you can be, you can be assured of, when you read an expression like that, you're reading about something wonderful, something good, a great blessing that Jesus Christ in this world came in the brightness of the glory of his Father. It was the express image of his person. That is, he had an identical image to him. That's why when you get to John chapter 14, Philip asked the Lord, says, show us the Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ told him, he says, how long have I been with you? And you say, show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Why? Because Jesus was declaring the Father on a daily basis. When you saw Jesus, everything you said, everything you did, you were seeing the Father. He was the express image of the Father. He was the image of the invisible God, according to Colossians chapter 1. So he's in the bosom of the Father. He is declaring the Father unto his children. All right, he says, I always do those things that please him. There was never a time he didn't please his heavenly Father. That's why the father could say when he was baptized, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. That's why he could say on the mountain of transfiguration, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. The father's son in this world never said anything contrary to the father's will, never did anything contrary to the father's will. It was always in perfect harmony, always in perfect unity with the father, wasn't it? Because you see, he was in the bosom of the father. He knew the father perfectly and he declared to the disciples of Christ, the Father in total perfection. So we come back here to the Gospel of John. We've seen, as the Father worketh, worketh hitherto, so I work. He always does things that pleased him. We've seen that he came to the Father's will. In the 10th chapter of John, this wonderful chapter where Jesus Christ declares himself to be the good shepherd, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep, we're told in verse 17, the Lord said, The Father loveth me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it again. I have power to lay it down, I have power to take it again. No man taketh it from me. Then he says, This commandment have I received of my Father. Now here, the, the only begotten, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, is declaring the commandment of the Father. So what is the commandment of the Father? That he lays down his life, that he might take it again. Notice this verse carefully now. He says, I have power to lay it down. I have the authority, I have the might to lay it down. I have the authority and the might to take it again. He said, I lay down my life. No man takes it from me. We spoke on this a number of weeks ago. No man takes it from me. 
That might be a little difficult for somebody to understand from the standpoint that the Roman soldiers took him, the Roman soldiers crucified him, and the Roman soldiers put nails in his hands and nails in his feet. Roman soldiers pierced his sword aside with a sword. The Jews themselves could have had him released. We read in Acts chapter 2 um, where he says, Him being delivered of the determinate counsel of God, you have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. You might say, well, sir, it sure sounds like to me, Brother Ronald, that somebody took his life. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to take him, we find the Apostle Peter drawing his sword and cutting off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked him and told him to put his sword up. He that liveth by the sword shall die by the sword. And he says unto Peter, Think you not that I could at this very moment call upon my heavenly Father, and he sent me twelve legions of angels, that's 72,000, a legion is 6,000, at this very moment, he would send 72,000 angels and deliver me if that's what I wanted. That's what could have happened. They could have never taken him had he not allowed them to take him, even when they came there to begin with. When they came, he says, whom seek ye? They, and Judas, of course, came to betray him. And the Lord said, this is he. With those three words, this is he, they all fell backwards as dead men. Him being delivered the determinate counsel of the foreknowledge of God, you have taken him by wicked hands, have crucified and slain. But him that was delivered by the eternal counsel of God, death could not hold him. The very pains of death could not hold him. And he arose victorious over death. Now, when the Lord said, I have power to lay down my life, he laid it down. When the Lord said, I have power to take it again, he took it again. After the third day, the Lord Jesus Christ was resurrected from the tomb on his own power. Nobody got him out of there. He came out on his own power. Resurrection power. Resurrection cures a lot of things. You know that? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ cures a lot of things, takes care of a lot of things. So it's this commandment have I received of my Father. Here's the commandment he received of the Father that he's declaring now to the disciples. Now that statement begins by saying, for this cause that he, because, he says he, he loveth me because I laid down my life that I might take it again. He starts off with the love of the Father and then he winds up talking about the commandment of the Father. Later on in this same chapter, we find where the Lord speaks about his sheep. And he said, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And he says, no man can pluck them out of my hands. And my Father, which giveth them me, is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. All right, so now he's declaring the Father's hand. He declared the Father's will. He declared the Father's commandment. He declared the Father's work. Now he's declaring the Father's hands. What wonderful hands the Father has. We speak in the, read in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40, where he says he holds the waters of the earth in the palm of his hand. That's a large hand, isn't it? To be able to hold all the waters of the universe, all the waters here on this earth, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, the Indian Ocean, all the rivers, all the creeks, all the streams, all the tributaries, all the water of this entire world, which is far more water than there is land, he holds it where? Right in the palm of his hand. Right in the palm of his hand. So he says, My sheep hear my voice. They follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. And no man can pluck them out of my hand. That's the kind of hand we're talking about. We're talking about a hand that can hold his people that John tells us no man can number. Now we got you know, great means today with the computers we've got to 
you know, spit out a lot of information, can't we? But they hadn't made a computer yet that could number the people of God in heaven. They haven't come up with a computer yet that can number the children of God that's in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the father in days of old in the Old Testament said, if you can count the grains of sand by the seashore, you can number my people. If you can count the number of stars in the heavens, you can number my people. If you can comprehend the dust of the earth, then you can number my people. He's telling you, you can't do it. If you miss that, he's telling you, you can't do it, okay? And then we find this over the book of Revelation. He saw a great multitude which no man can number. Well, they're all in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. They're all right there. He knows every single one of them. He knows how many he's got. He knows their names. He knows their situation. He knows their conditions. You know, let me just pause here and come over here to the book of Matthew chapter 10 just for a moment. When the Lord tells his disciples, his apostles, to go out on this first gospel commission, he tells them where to go and where not to go. He tells them what they can expect, etc. But he tells them something very important toward the end of that commission. He said, fear not them that can kill the body, but fear him that can destroy both body and soul in hell. He says, for not one sparrow shall fall to the ground without your heavenly father. That means without your father knowing about it. One sparrow has never fell to the ground that escaped the eyes of God, escaped the attention of God. He said, for the very hairs of your head are numbered. Not one sparrow can fall without your heavenly father knowing about it. Your father loves you more than you could ever comprehend. You've got a father in heaven that loves you more than we'll ever understand here in this life. But I want to understand it more and more. I do want to comprehend it more and more. The more I understand the love that the father has for me, the more I understand how I should love the father and manifest it here in this life. What about you? Now, the hair of your head, not as he know it today, he'll know it tomorrow. Well, I can guarantee you the same amount a uh, number of hair you've got today, you will not have tomorrow. You will not have the same amount tomorrow. And you don't have the same amount today you had yesterday. Thank God he gives you a whole lot of them when you start out. <laughs> that you know you can lose them gradually and not realize they're gone. If I didn't look at photographs, if I didn't take a, uh, a mirror and, take, and turn around and look at the back of my head, I might think I still had a whole head full of hair, but I know better. I just never will forget when we had one of them big uh, VCRs things, you know, and we was uh, videotaping uh, my oldest son, David, playing basketball. And we got home looking at it, and I, that thing got heavy, you know. <laughs> hey, got, those things was heavy. And uh, we had it on the TV, and I'd give it to somebody else to do a little recording. And I saw somebody sitting there, and behind them, I said, well, who, who's that? Y'all know who's that sitting in the bleeds? And he said, well, that's you, Dad. I said, Me? I said, he, he's got a big ball spot in the back of his head. That's right, that's you. Uh, they were so kind to me, they never told me that. They were so kind and gracious to me, they just kept out a secret from me for a pretty long time, and then that, that cotton-picking recording gave it away. But thankfully, they've been coming out slowly, but nevertheless coming out. I just wanted to show you how much you mean to the Lord, even in a practical sense. No man can pluck them out of my hand, and my Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man can pluck them out of my Father's hand. I am the Father one. Here we find where the Lord is declaring, the only begotten Son of God is declaring the Father's, not only His will, His work, His commandment, His love, 
but also here the eternal security of the Lord's people. He's declaring the Father, isn't he? Come to John chapter 14, and the Lord starts off this message. I told you earlier, John 14, 15, and 16 represent the final message of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples before his crucifixion. Now, he'll talk to them again after his resurrection, but before his crucifixion, here's his farewell message to them. And we're going to find 45 times in John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus refers to his Father. 45 times. We'll just look at two or three of them. John chapter 14, verse 1, The Lord said, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. He could have used another name besides Father if he'd have wanted to, and it had been true. But he uses the word Father. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If not so, I'd have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am there you shall be also. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll return and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. You've got a Father in heaven that's got mansions, and one of them is for you. I so much little Heavenly Father loved you. Because for you to occupy that mansion, he had to send his son into this world. He had to send his son into this world. Look at 1 John 4, 14. He says, for the father sent the son to die for our sins. Who sent him? The father sent him. The father sent his son to die. I, I, I don't think I could ever send one of my sons to, knowing ahead of time I'd be sending him to die. But the father sent his son to die. Without the Father sending the Son to die, that mansion in heaven would not be occupied by you one day. And that word mansion now, just to be sure you understand, it means a place of abode, it means a place to dwell in. It does not mean, you know, a 50-room house. It's quite amazing to the people that her concept of heaven is, some people breeze through the gates and some people just make it by the coattails. And those who breeze through, they get the mansions. Those who just barely make it, you know, they get the little log cabin down by the creek side. No such thing as cabins and mansions in heaven from that point of view. You know why? Because not only you're a child. Let's go to Romans 8, 14 just a moment. He said, For many as led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of fear again to bondage. You've received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father. That's your experience. So you cry what? You cry, Abba, Father, Father, Father. If you cry, Abba, Father, then you're a child of God. You're children of God. And if children of God, you're heirs of God. You notice what he said? There are three things about you. He says you're the sons of God, the children of God, and the heirs of God. And not only are you the heirs of God, you're the joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That you're a joint heir? That means whatever heaven is for one, heaven is for all. That means whatever heaven is for Jesus Christ, same for you. You're a joint heir, not just with each other. You're a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're the sons of God. You're the children of God. You're the heirs of God. That's why I like to come to the Father's house. I like to hear all I can find out about my Father. I like to hear about my father's love. I like to hear about my father's gift of eternal life. I like to hear about the father sending his son to die for me. In my father's house are many mansions. If you're not so, I'd have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. See, legal arrangements had to be made. You had to be redeemed, justified, and um, reconciled. 
All that had to be taken care of because he's a righteous God, a God of truth, a holy God. All those things had to be taken care of and satisfied before you can move in. Uh, there's a lot, you know, some houses for sale, but I would not suggest for you to go buy and say, I like that house, I think I'll just move in. I suggest you buying it first. You got to buy it first. You got to have a contract first. You got to have a, a mortgage payment or all cash, whatever you got. It's all got to be done. In other words, legal arrangements have to be made before you can occupy that house. And before the Lord's people can ever go to glory and be in heaven with the Father, which they will, of the arrangements had to be taken care of. So you're redeemed, you're reconciled, you're justified, ransom price has been paid, all the arrangements have been made, and therefore it's guaranteed that one day you'll be with God in heaven because you're an heir of God and a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is getting pretty good this morning. All right? <laughs> the Son of God, He hath declared Him. The Son of God hath declared His will. The Son of God hath declared um, the preservation of the saints. The, the Son of God hath declared His work. The Son of God hath declared His love. The Son of God hath declared His commandment. The Son of God hath declared to you, to God's people, that you got a mansion in heaven waiting for you to be, waiting to be occupied by you when you draw your last breath, your spirit and soul goes right to it. So when you pray, you pray like this. We come back to Matthew. In Matthew chapter 6, we find where the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his disciples to pray this prayer. He said, when you pray, you pray like this, Our Father, which art in heaven. I think about that oftentimes. You know, I've started prayers out before like, Oh God, um, my Creator. But I can't, most of my prayers, 95% of my prayers start off like this, My Father, that art in heaven. I'm just happy and thankful I can call upon God as my Father. Not just one day out of the year, but every day I live on this earth, I can call Him my Father. Thou art my Father. When you pray, you pray like this. Our Father, which art in heaven. That tells you where He's at. See, we're talking about a heavenly Father. That's why you read in Matthew chapter 23 where the Lord Jesus Christ told His disciples to call no man Father. He said, because you have one Father and He's in heaven. Not telling you it's wrong to call your earthly father, father. That's quite appropriate. It's quite all right. But you're not to call any man, religiously speaking, father on this earth because you've just got one father and he's in heaven. He's in heaven. In my father's house are many mansions. Indeed. When you pray, you pray in this manner. Our father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He's got a hallowed name. He's in heaven. He's got a hallowed name. He's got a great name. He's got a... Uh, <coughs> You know, a name like we've, his name should be called Reverend. We find over in Psalms 111. That's the kind of name your Heavenly Father's got. I try to tell my boys this, my daughter this. My father told me this. He says, your last name is Lawrence, and what you do is going to reflect, is going to reflect on us, and it's going to, you know, have a, a kind of impact on the name you carry. So you be careful to live in such a way that you're not ashamed to tell people your last name is Lawrence. And so, uh, our Heavenly Father's got a great name, doesn't he? And I don't want to tarnish that name. I don't want to put a blemish on that name. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. He's got a kingdom. I want to see, I want to feel a manifestation of that kingdom. You know, in Luke uh, 12, 32, we find where the Lord said, it's the Father's, the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He said, fear not, little flock. There was a little flock, a few people following the Lord Jesus Christ during his earthly life. 
And the Lord encouraged them and saying, it's your father's good pleasure to give you something. He's going to give you a kingdom. That's better than a brand new car. That's better than a brand new house. That's better than a paid up college education. That's better than anything you can tell me here this morning. It's better than any of that. It's the kingdom. I, like, I enjoy kingdom living. I want to experience kingdom living right here. I want to live in the kingdom. I want to feel the, the presence of the Lord. That's why Paul said, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. My, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. You've got a heavenly Father that loves you and cares for you. We come to Matthew chapter 6. And the Lord will tell us about verses 23, 24 and here. He'll tell you that no man can serve two masters. He'll love one and hold to the other. He'll, despise a whole, he'll love one and hate the other. He'll hold one and despise the other. You can't serve two. You can only serve one. We have the contrast between God and mammon. Well, that is uh, earthly riches and wealth here. All right, he says, consider the fowls of the air. He says, notice how they, how they uh, sow not nor reap not. He says, but... Yet, and gather not. But he says, your heavenly Father takes care of them. Notice, your heavenly Father takes care of them. Your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, are you not much better than the sparrows? Are you not much better than that? And he said, you take a, and when it comes to your clothing, he said, take a look at uh, Solomon, all of his glory. He says, compare that to the lilies out here. They toil not nor spin not. And he says, some in all his glory is not arrayed like one of these, yet God clothes the lilies of the field. There's more beauty in a lily than Solomon could ever make himself to, you know, uh, with all the expensive clothes he could have bought in his day and one thing and another, he doesn't compare it to the beautiful lilies of the field that God has created. He says, take no thought for what you eat, what you drink, or your clothes. For God knoweth you have need of these. Your heavenly Father, excuse me, no, he's twice in here. His heavenly Father, your heavenly Father knoweth what you stand in need of before you ever ask. This is God's security. Far superior than social security. Here's a promise. Here's an assurance of God himself. He goes on to say, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things shall be added unto you. If we will seek the Lord first, if we will seek to serve the Lord first, to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth, if we will try to put him first in our life, make the Lord first, his word, his kingdom, his church first in our life, we have the assurance that the good Lord will give us something to eat, something to drink, and something to wear. You notice he didn't tell you he'd give you brand name stuff. Okay. Brand name stuff. Uh, I, we, know, we raised four children, so we know the battle that goes on sometime between this brand name stuff. I can tell you a good story on Tim this morning, but I'll save it for another occasion. The Son of God, he hath declared him. He hath declared him. He declared the Father's will. He declared the Father's work. Declared the Father's commandment. Declared the Father's love. Compared the Father's, you know, uh, will concerning the preservation of the saints, the eternal security of the saints. Declared the Father would come to the mansions that he's got set aside for the Lord's people to occupy one day when they leave this world right here. The Lord Jesus Christ always referred to God as his Father with that one exception. Now, I'm going to close this morning by going to the first and last times he used those words. The very first time he ever referred to God as his Father, he was 12 years of old. 
12 years of age. You read in Luke chapter 2, where the Lord Jesus Christ separated himself from his mother and father when they'd been to Jerusalem. They left there, heading back to Nazareth. And on the way back, after a day's journey, they realized Jesus isn't with them. As I said before, this is not a matter of Joseph and Mary losing Jesus. This is a matter of Jesus losing them. Jesus knows where he's at. They don't know where he's at, but he knows where he's at. When they discover he's not with them, they turn around and they head back. And after three days go by before they finally find him, where they find him, they find him in the temple. And he's in a discussion with the doctors and the lawyers. And he's asking questions and answering questions. And he's 12 years old. He's sitting in the midst. Now think about it. A 12-year-old young man in the midst of the so-called experts of the day, the doctors and the lawyers. And they're baffled. They're astonished at his answers. When his mother gets there, she kind of scolds him like any mother would. He says, you know, your father and I have been looking for you, etc. And Jesus' reply was to them was this. Quist you not, I must be about my father's business. That's father spelled with a capital F. My father's been, he wasn't talking about Joseph, he was talking about his heavenly father. He, heavenly father sent Jesus in this world here with some business to take care of. He sent him here to carry out his will, carry out his commandment, carry out his purpose, his counsel, and his good pleasure. And Jesus is all about it at the age of 12. Now the last time it's used is when Jesus is on the cross. In Luke chapter 23, it's one of the seven sayings of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And this saying goes like this. The Lord himself, you know when he cried aloud, said, it is finished. He said, into, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ had total control of the whole situation, even this very time. At this moment here, the Lord speaks to his Father and says, into thy hands I commend my spirit. In other words, I'm in charge here. I'm discharging my spirit. It's going to go into heaven. It's going to go into your hands. And that's the last time that the Lord used the word Father in his ministry here. Today's Father's Day. It's a day that's been set aside to recognize the importance of fathers. And I'm, I'm glad we have such a day. And I'm so very happy that we have so many wonderful fathers here at Bethel Church. I, I'm one, I'm, well, I don't know how great a father I am, but I am a father here at Bethel Church. And uh, I'm happy to be amongst the other fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers that are here, uh, not only this morning, but whenever we meet together. But I tell you, every single day should be Father's Day when our Heavenly Father. It should be 52 Father's Day in the house of service. That's why the Lord said in John 4 and 23 to the Samaritan woman that the hour is coming and now is when the true worship of God shall worship him, shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. I want to worship my heavenly Father. I want to learn more about my heavenly Father. I want to have the fellowship of my heavenly Father. I want to hear more how his only begotten son declared him, declared his love, declared his commandment, declared his will, declared... Uh, you know, his salvation for his people here in this world. I want to learn more and more about it because the Lord Jesus Christ was there, my friends, for a time ever again in the bosom of the Father. He knew him perfectly and he declared him perfectly. And I want to learn more and more as much as I can on a daily basis concerning my Lord and my Savior. He is my heavenly Father. May I do the very best I can to honor him.